You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 59 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. Joining me, as always, is Matt and Nathan Van Horn. And, of course, there's me, Gandalf, if you don't know my voice by now. And if you're new, speaking of which, then you also may not be subscribed to the podcast, in which case, heaven forbid, there be even one soul among us not subscribed to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. If you're on Spotify, hit like, follow. If you're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe. Or if you're on uh, Apple Play or whatever, whatever third party that might be, the positive interaction does two things. First, it helps you know when there's a new episode out every Tuesday morning. And second, it tells the algorithm that this is worthwhile content and therefore will generate it on more people's feeds and we can help spread the word of the podcast even farther. And I will say through that, you guys have allowed us to go from, you know, a very small podcast when we first started out being listened to by our mothers to now, you know, we go out to well over 2000 people every single week. So for that, we are eternally grateful. Hey, can I, can I, can I share something that has nothing to do with anything? Uh, Go for it. Yeah. So today we're transitioning to Abraham, right? And and uh, I know you've been waiting for that. I I have been (laughs) waiting for that, Uh, but you mentioned lest there be even one person who is listens and is not subscribed. It, it, mm-hmm. it made me think there's a there's a rabbinical teach uh, tradition that Abraham in the age to come sits at the gates of Gehenna so that not a single circumcised Israelite can pass through the gates, you know, uh, to hell, essentially. <laughs> so what, maybe, what, maybe which, is a ra- could... which is a roundabout way of saying just go ahead and click that subscribe button. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get up to the pearly gates and John starts asking whether or not you're subscribed to the podcast I, or not. I don't. I don't know that. I don't know that. I. I don't know that I meant to put that much weight on it, but uh, like and subscribe, uh, well, share with your friends. Pod, well, podcast Nathan. subscription and circumcision. You heard it first here. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well, Nathan, that's actually as characteristically of you. That's a good segue because I knew that we were transitioning into Abraham. We made a big deal about the transition from the different types of storytelling last episode. And I know that we're going to become a little bit more intimate in the way stories are told from here on out. And it's mainly, you know, through our human characters. But here is my question. And I don't know if this is going to throw you all off too much, but this is, this is the direction I want to take the podcast. So get ready. Here it goes. It made sense to follow uh, the heroes that we have been up until this point, like Adam, he's the first man. So it made sense to follow the first man. The prototype. Yeah. Yeah. Then we, you know, after that, we followed Cain, Abel, their stories, which it makes sense. They're the only, they're really the only people around that you could even follow. We followed Noah, which that made sense because he was literally the only righteous man on the earth. And then we even, when we talked about Job, his righteousness was the catalyst for him being in the limelight. So here's my question. Why now are we talking about Abraham and not like, I don't know, like Tara or Nahor or some of these other people in this genealogy. What is it that makes Abraham the main character in these narratives coming out, coming out of 
Genesis 11. Or I, back I, it up I, even further. Why are we not talking about Egypt? Why are we not talking about... Uh, any of the other scattered peoples. Any of the other scattered peoples. And uh, to even add to that, uh, Gandalf, here's another thing. Why even in 2022 is the world still talking about the descendants of Abraham? Hmm. Mm. I want to offer one answer. This might make make it the shortest podcast episode ever. In which case, you're welcome. Because sometimes (laughs) you're having a tough day and you're trying to fit your podcast in. So one reason why we have to have this hype on Abraham is because he was the subject of my dissertation. And this is a a shout-out to the three people who read it. (laughs) Which, Which don't include my wife. <laughs> oh, oh no! Goodness. For shame! Uh, I'm kidding. That's 100 percent uh, facetious. So, but Matt, well, back, back to your serious point. Well, so one of the things uh, my childhood pastor is a guy named Dr. Holly Miller. Uh, I grew up at Severe Heights Baptist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, when I was a kid, and. Pastor Holly is actually still pastoring and doing ministry. I believe he's in Sweetwater, Tennessee now. But I never will forget one of the things that he said. And Brother Holly is a uh, a, a revised dispensationalist, a futurist when it comes to matters on prophecy. Uh, there were a lot of those, especially in his generation. Um, but he says one of the greatest arguments for the existence of of God is Israel as an ancient state, as a modern state. How can you explain Israel? It's never been an empire. It's never been the epicenter of culture. Yet Israel and its people, whether concentrated or spread abroad, have shaped society for it, it, millennia. This This reminds me of, you know, to your point, not only has it not been an empire, just about every empire marched through there, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, uh, y'all have been to the Holy Land, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, did y'all go, y'all went to Megiddo? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember, yeah, do you remember on, you know, in the actual settlement fortified area where you can like stand by some of those walls and just see like 16, 20 uh, layers of civilization just strata yeah, stacked we did on top that. of each other. Well, Gandalf and um, I yeah, stood, cool. stood there together, actually. Uh, so ev- everyone marches through ev- Israel. Everyone makes it part of their conquest. How does this, how did this, how does this people, how does this nation endure? To your point. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's Pastor Holly's point. And, and how and, in the world does it serve as the missional hub of God's saving activity for all creation? Right. I mean, it, this is not Greek, Greece and their philosophers. This is not Rome and its power. Uh, this is not Egypt and its ancient history. This is not China and its dynasties. It's not and Hannibal, massive population. Not, Han- not Hannibal and his well-trained circ- uh, circus elephants. <laughs> uh, that's right. Or Genghis Khan. I mean, there was never a Jewish conquest of the world. There was never a people of Israel seeking to spread their culture and conquer the world. Uh, there were the the possessing of the land, which is a rather small tract in this terms of, you know, the world, so to speak. But how is this tiny little place? How does this place matter? 
It's the size of New Jersey. Father Abraham but, had many sons. Sorry, right. I couldn't segue. So, but when we're talking about Abraham, uh, the question even comes up later. Before we read this little bit here, Moses actually deals with this in later writings in Deuteronomy, where in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 7, Moses he makes said, the, He makes the pastor holly point. Yeah, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you <coughs> were the fewest of all peoples. And in verse 8, it says, but it is because the Lord loves you. There it is. Oh, man. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Like this is going to keep coming. And I, oh, man, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of Romans there. You should. And yeah. I want to ask the Roman scholar something because I just recently taught on Romans and I did consult you uh, more than once during that. But what's interesting, I know you're going to talk about today because you've mentioned it in previous times and discussions. The Jews don't know what to do with Abraham in some of the Targums and the Yeah, because, because, because on the one hand, uh, the Jews, you know, Paul's day, the Jews champion Torah. They champion the law, right? Uh, right. And, and all and all the practices and, and worship aspects that that outlines. On the other hand, their founding figure lived several hundred years before the law was given. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that it's interesting, and this is this is this will segue well to what we're talking about today with Abram. Um, is in the Jewish interpretive tradition, they try to find all sorts of ways for Abraham to keep the law, even though he lived several hundred years before Sinai. So in uh, in the Genesis Apocryphon, I think it is, um, there's a tradition where God inspires Abraham's kidneys, uh, which may be idiomatic for heart, but it, it says kidneys. It, God inspires Abraham's kidneys to be his rabbis and instruct him in the Torah. Uh, in uh, Jubilees, God has uh, an angel teach Abraham, the thereafter forgotten Hebrew language, so that Abraham and the other patriarchs can keep kosher food laws during their lifetime. Uh, and so, in other words, they find the answers, the the solutions are mutually exclusive. They they contradict each other, right? They come up with all sorts of uh, ways that they think Abraham could have kept the law before Sinai, but there was a common assumption, no matter what your explanation was. Oh yeah, of course Abraham kept the law. So what's uh, funny is, it, as I listen to those explanations, it, it, to me, it just sounds like try hard behavior, like trying too hard to make something fit. But that becomes the epitome of the Jewish faith, especially by the time of Christ on, uh, on so many things. Uh, one of the things that when you think about here in this story, in fact, before we go any further, why don't we read really quick? Let me read for us since I've got it pulled up right here. This is Genesis 11, 27 through the end of the chapter. Now, these are the generations. 
Uh-huh. Matt, Matt reading a genealogy. We're doing things differently on season three of the Bigger Than Fiction Bible podcast. Go ahead, That's Matt. That's all right. These are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. By the way, there were no Chaldeans at that time, so that clearly that is a scribe helping us out there. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, and the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, and the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah, or Terah died in Haran. Yahtzee. So it just yeah, it just sounds like another genealogy. Uh, but this, the Bible's going to be abundantly clear because just to tip off where we're going, Genesis 12, 1 speaks of the call of Abraham. So this is, the, and by the way, I don't think this can be confusing sometimes. I don't think we should see this as chronologically Genesis 11, chronologically before Genesis 12. I think this is just, this is just one way of describing the story. And then in Genesis 12, it introduces the dialogue between Abraham and Sarah. Or, excuse me, not Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and God. Which, that's normal. We've seen that before. Yeah, we, that, yeah no we, we've talked there. about that dynamic, yeah. Right. Um, but, so, brings, but anyway, it, as you read that passage, you don't see anything that's like, wow, Abraham's this great guy, yet what you're saying is there is this tradition amongst ancient Jewish people to find the character that doesn't seem to be there. Is that fair? Yeah, and and before we get into that, I, I love the illustration you used before we were recording. You know, you said, you know, imagine you're playing the recess football game. What is oh, that yeah. character? What is that characteristic that says, "Ooh, I need to pick Abraham"? And the only qualification he has in the passage is that he marries the. He's the only the one in the mix woman. who marries a woman who can't have kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's interesting. You know, we talked about those past heroes. Um, <laughs> Uh, and even when there's, you know, Adam, the first guy, even where he's not the perfect guy to move the story first, there's a genealogy that follows in the wake of his story, right? Right. Uh, and then Noah, righteous in his day. And, and you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the flood and its aftermath, but there's a genealogy that follows in his wake. God is now picked to move the story f- forward with the one guy who's not capable of producing a genealogy. Um, yeah, and, and also we looked at Job too. I think we already mentioned that in this podcast. But yeah, um, uh, and, but again, at the end of Job, Job has new sons and daughters. <laughs> a- right. Abraham Abraham has a barren wife. How you know how is that going to yeah. happen? What's going on um, there? And so, uh, and we'll so, we'll come back to that. Um, and, and in fact, going back to the illustration, you know, when kids pick teams on the playground, if if you want to win, you typically start with the best players amongst the kids on the playground. But every now and again, you'll find that kid that wants to be nice and is like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to pick the kid that I know nobody else is going to pick and he's not any good. But typically you pick that kid to be nice. You don't pick that kid expecting 
to, to build win. your plan of winning the game around him or her. Yeah. And that that's what's happening here. That's what Moses is tapping into in Deuteronomy 7. You, you, and, did, you just made me rethink a lot, brother. I was like, all those times that I got to be QB on playground yeah. football, who was, who was being nice? <laughs> They're just being nice to you. Who was being nice? <laughs> I'm crushed. Oh, no. I'm crushed. <laughs> but oh. so one of the places where the, it's typically found, this was fascinating to me when you brought this up in our study discussion, Nathan, was the whole discussion about the story of Abraham and his brother and the fiery furnace of the Chaldeans. And yeah. we're looking at this and going, what in the world? You know, where is that coming from? Well, there's actually some textual, there is a textual possibility that makes it possible here for it to be interpreted that way, even though uh, it's, in my opinion, too try hard. But it's this, <laughs> this discussion is fascinating. Yeah, so the, the, the long and short of it is is that, you know, we read that Haran perished in Ur of the Chaldees, and we see Ur of the Chaldees, and we think a place, right? Ur. Right. Um, but the Hebrew word Ur looks very close to the Hebrew word for fire. And so fire. there you could, it leaves this playful possibility that maybe Haran, it wasn't that Haran uh, perished in a certain city, that Haran uh perished under certain conditions he he perished in the fire of the chaldee uh the fire of the chaldees or the chaldeans and so what you have in some of the traditions um is to varying degrees they'll kind of read the shadrach meshach and abednego story on top of this one so in in one tradition um god uh, calls to Abraham or Abraham chooses to be the only person in his day who worships God. And so he, uh, you know, at the Tower of Babel, he goes, because again, religious structure, right? Right. Uh, at the Tower of Babel, he goes to the temple and he burns all the false idols and Haran runs in to save the idols and perishes in the fire of the Chaldeans. Uh, and another mm -hmm. one that is so interesting, um, uh, Nimrod, right? Nimrod, we talked a lot about Nimrod, the original pilot. Yeah, has a showdown. This is in Genesis Rabbah, uh, a Midrashic document, just an interpretive reading between the lines of Genesis. Um, but he has this showdown with Abraham uh, over you know how many gods and who should be worshipped. Nimrod says to Abraham, you are speaking foolishness. Let us worship fire, and if not, I will cast you into its mists. Then let your God whom you worship come and save you from it. And it says, Haran stood there undecided and said to himself, I will do one of two things. If Abram wins, I will side with Abram. If Nimrod wins, I will side with Nimrod. And so uh, Abram is cast in the fiery furnace and he's saved. Very Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He chose wisely. Um, but, but yeah, that's right. Uh, and then Nimrod says to Haran, whose side are you on? And he sides with his brother. But because he did so pragmatically rather than by faith, he perishes in the flame, dies in Ur, Ur the Chaldean. And there's lots of different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, what's interesting, though, is uh, there's lots of variations on that theme. But one thing that keeps coming up, and I'm not saying this was the official Jewish view. Don't hear me saying that. But I'm saying they are flirting around this idea. They're trying to make come to grips with why did God pick Abraham? And in a lot of the traditions, it seems that the answer was because Abraham, in some sense, first chose God. You know, and, one of did y'all ever see the movie Chariots of Fire? Oh, yeah. Dude, that's one of my favorite. Yeah. Oh, man. 
that's one of my favorites. Uh, anyway, I feel God's begin- pleasure when he ra- when I run. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Where Harold Abrahams, the 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 Jewish runner at the beginning, he's running all these people uh, off the track, so to speak. He's just doing outstanding. And one of the Englishmen leans over uh, to his friend and he says, "Man, they really are." God's chosen people. And the implication was, is that here the Jews don't have a homeland at that point. You know, there's not a nation state or anything like that. And yet here they are everywhere in the world and they're prospering. They're still thriving. Um, yeah. They're still thriving. And um, so it just makes me think of what we're talking about here is, is, is the question, is the question of the Jew. And, you know, it's one of the things now, let me go ahead and acknowledge this. There are Jews of which I have great respect for that don't even acknowledge the existence of a God. All right. And I'm not saying I respect their position. I mean, I respect it out of friendliness to my neighbor, but what I'm saying is I respect them as individuals, but they're practicing atheists or agnostics. Uh, You know, many Jews today are not necessarily people of faith. However, you still have to ask yourself, why is the Jew like, when's the last time you ran into an Amorite? What, when is the last? When's the last time that we got, you, we got you ran into a Philistine? In here? Yeah. yeah, I mean, why are they still here? Why is Abraham's name still being mentioned? There's children still being well, named what, Abraham. Well, and again, you know, take your two largest. Uh, this is this is. Uh, uh, several have writ- written on this. John Levinson wrote a book called Abraham Journey to the Heart of Three Faiths. I think that was the name of it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, or someone wrote a book. He wrote, John Levinson did write a book on Abraham. I don't remember if that was the subtitle. Um, but so many of the books written on Abraham as a figure. Again, he's not just the point of appeal for Jews and Christians. This is the point of appeal for Islam. Islam finds uh, founds itself. It, it 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 is viewed as an Abrahamic religion. Uh, it's right. just traced through Ishmael rather than Isaac. So again, you keep you have to deal with this question: Why Abraham? And and biblically, what's our answer? Just because God chose him. Because God chose him. That's it. Right. Uh, that that uh, is the answer. The, uh, and the old the and, older New Testament offer no qualification. Uh, now we'll come back to that question: What does it mean for God to choose Abraham? But it offers no qualification for God's choosing of Abram. So let, let me let me ask a question here. It's it's got to be said. So we're talking about all these qualifications of these other guys, and we're talking about like Matt calls them the the, the Jewish people going try hard, trying to come up with qualifications for Abraham. But it seems to me that you know coming out of Genesis eleven, going into Genesis twelve. That really, what's being done here is it's just giving off a, a list of reasons why Abraham shouldn't be chosen by God, or why he shouldn't be the hero, going starting from Genesis twelve. So my question is, what is the reality of the situation? What why is Abraham chosen instead of one of these other people from Genesis eleven? Yeah, and that's it. That is the question. I, I, it's, it's forcing you to ask the question for which there is no answer in human terms. That the, why did God choose Abraham? And the, the answer is because God chose Abraham. Uh, Matt, how did you say it? Uh, Abraham doesn't have qualifications. He has liabilities. Oh yeah. Does it, instead of having <laughs> qualifications, he has liabilities. 
and, and again, as you I, as you pointed out, the guy who can't have a kid. I, I don't and I and and you get by the way you get that that's emphatic in the text even before you get to Sarah's barrenness or Sarai at the time her barrenness. Look at twenty seven. These are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Comes straight out of the gate that Haran fathered Lot. So how are you going to write the generations of Abram if he can't have a kid? <laughs> uh, right. In other words, or at least through Sarah, uh, th- that's it. Um, and so this this will be pivotal to the plot of Abraham and a lot of uh, categories. You know, for example, and and we'll come to talk about this. When does faith enter the biblical story? You know, faith. You you talk to you know. We say the Christian faith. If you ask most important concepts to any Bible-believing person, faith has got to be pretty close, if not at the very top of the list. Fair? Right. Fair. The word, the word, the concept of faith. When does the concept of faith enter the biblical story? Genesis 15. With Abram. Like With Abram. The, the gravity of that is huge. And it's in the context of God promising Abram what? A large family. <laughs> so what's interesting, and this is to shape a little bit of where we're going, and it's one of the things is that in looking at Romans and thinking about these things, God is calling this man, and we're going to look at this next week, but God is calling this man here in Genesis 12 and the tail end of Genesis 11. But the... But Abram doesn't exercise faith in believing and receiving God's promises until later. So God's choosing is not in response to Abraham's faith. God, God's, God's choice of Abraham is completely independent of Abraham's faith. Accord, according to his own wisdom. That's right. And um. as much as we can respect, by, I mean... Every people group, not just Jewish people, tend to look favorably upon at least the ancestors that they have, which they like. We, we tend to, you know, to remember the people we like favorably and they become grander as, as time passes. There's, there's a meme that went around a few years ago. It was talking about the evolution of Martin Luther's hammer. And it, and it oh, of, yeah. of, of nailing the 95 pieces to the church it, it gets bigger and bigger. And the, the hammer, it, it's, it's like a sledgehammer, like 300 years later. The first one is just like tiny little, you know, a tack nailer just to, you know, put up his paper. <laughs> but so we, we tend to make ancient people and our ancestors of whom we're fond of grander than they actually and perhaps were. Um, and that is out of reverence for them. But it's, it's almost like Genesis is trying to prevent you from doing that. In order to yeah. understand what's going on here, you need to understand this guy has no reason to be picked. That's it. Uh, sociologists will, will say that most people groups uh, will have an origin story. They refer to it as a master commemorative narrative. And a very common aspect of those master commemorative narratives are... Uh, are founding figures that deserve to be, you know, emulated, uh, copied, uh, mimicked, uh, because of their great character and qualifications as the head of a people group, and the head of this people group marries a barren woman, and God says, "Leave your country, your kinfolk, and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you." Mm. 
man, fascinating so stuff. That's that's a different kind of story, man. It is, a, it, man. There's going to be so much to come, in in the future weeks. Well, listener, you too are chosen for great things, even though you may not have qualifications. And one of those things is to continue to listen every week to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast, which you can continue to do so by making sure you hit like and subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening. That way, every Tuesday morning. You can get a notification when we have a new episode out. Until then, you have a great week, and we will see you here next week. See you next time. Shalom. Father Abraham had many sons. Boom, boom.